welcome back to Unpacked 101 with myself and today I'm joined by a friend of mine, Alwande. Uh, but before I take the time to introduce you, I think I'll just give you a second to introduce yourself to the listeners and everyone listening. Hi everyone, I am Alwande Ngubane, a child of God, a speaker, performer and a BCom economics and management sciences student. I'm so happy to be here today to speak about a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, And I really, really hope that someone is educated or someone is helped to kind of further what they've been thinking about and hopefully challenged. So, yeah, pretty excited. Yes, uh, I think also it's important that I just mentioned that we have had this conversation before, but on your platform, on your terms where you also just allowed me the chance to join in the conversation, which is very insightful. Like, I, I remember on the day, actually, I left the conversation because I had invited a couple of my friends and everyone, like, kind of came back and was like, we've learned so much. So, uh, definitely, I think, I trust your opinion in this topic. So, I think maybe, like like we said, the topic we speak on today, maybe just to give a, uh insight, is gender-based violence or specifically gender-based violence in a South African context, if I can narrow it down as much as possible. So obviously, with that being said, the first thing that I think anyone would want to understand or to know is like, what do you understand by gender-based violence or what's gender-based violence to you? Okay, so I feel like gender-based violence obviously can have different um, definitions, but if we're thinking about it at a more broader term, Obviously, gender-based violence, which is abbreviated as um, GBV, is a violence towards an individual gender. So it can be male or it can be female. But what we need to understand that this violence isn't just um, physical. It's very much physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse that is um, perpetuated towards a certain um, gender. But in a South African context, it is very much more towards women, which I think is something that we then need to always start having conversations about. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, uh, like you said, when we when we considered like the broad definition, it definitely would be, I think, as broad as we can put it, just to say violence against uh, one gender against the other in any context. But I think, uh, obviously, like you said, in a South African context, we'd have to really narrow it down to violence against women because that's where it's really perpetuated and that's where I think uh, we've continued to allow it to to grow and manifest in like many different forms. Uh, for yeah. Which I think even as we've said before that like when we, when we consider the word violence, I think uh, the notion or the connotation that uh, we are referring to a form of physical violence is something that definitely has to leave off, which I think you did say uh, that it can even be psychological violence where we make women feel less than uh, we don't present yeah. certain opportunities to women because we <clears throat> automatically assume that they can't maybe fulfill a certain role or they can't feel, fulfill certain leadership roles. That in itself is a form of violence and it doesn't yeah. have to be to be physical. You know, like I think that's the, the one thing I, I would want to clarify before we go into the conversation because 100%. a lot of the time uh, in my own experiences, I've seen men trying to, to run away from GBV saying that, but I've never laid my hand on a woman. And it's not necessarily always you laying your hand on her, but I think it's it's the the way you you make her feel less than yourself when you're in a household or in a particular mm. setting. So that in itself is a form of violence that I think we we first have to comprehend that it exists, 
then we then have to somehow begin to dismantle it like slowly but surely you know yeah i don't know if you've ever i think maybe before you even go into that have you ever had like any any personal experiences that you feel like you've had uh maybe towards the psychological side of it um anything uh, more more away from the physical but uh in terms of psychological uh opportunities maybe that you felt like you could never undertake or positions that were never opened up to you because you were woman yeah no definitely i i i so in high school i played soccer and i was always just i'm always just a girl that's closer to guys so like when i was very much, like younger in grade 8 and 9 i used to play soccer with like boys in you know at break and i was just always like looked down upon like even when i walk into uh, a room right now at this at my at my big age right now and i say to you and we speak about sports and i'm like yeah no i play sports i, I play soccer I, the gents will look at me funny and that already yeah. is just look like you're making me feel inadequate because i am a woman and i'm playing a sport that you feel as though is a male dominant sport mm. yeah no i think you're right i think yeah especially especially like like i think the example that you gave in sport and i think maybe in our own context in the south african context we see it a lot i think maybe in our leadership positions also uh when mm-hmm. you consider uh, the ratio of male to female or men to women in parliament uh you see like a very like vast difference or a discrepancy that exists quite clearly uh as opposed to i think uh, a lot of states that are actually becoming progressive i know uh, in uh, african context the uh, country we can always look at is rwanda and i was surprised to to realize that apparently in the parliament they have a 50-50 split between men and women which is oh, wow. which in itself is just, it just shows a bit of progress in the sense that uh, i think mm. people are there's there's an evolution that's kind of like taking place you understand yeah. because if we if we think of the fact that this is what they're doing in their parliament then we actually start to look at their economic growth you realize uh, a very clear trend or a correlation that exists to say that there's something they're doing right you know what i mean because yeah. it's, uh, it's an economy that's growing so i think it's something we have to we have to take note of also uh, in our own country yeah but um Having said that, also, is, uh, I think the, the discussion point that I would want to touch on first is, why do you think gender-based violence has particularly exploded in South Africa? Um, so I think gender-based violence is... So exploded is a very interesting word to use, and I'll tell you why. So we, we're just going to stick with it now, but afterwards I'll tell you why it's interesting. So I feel as though it has exploded in South Africa because women are no longer willing to be silent and subservient beings where they are are what society projects or proposes that women should be. Women have gotten to a point where they're no longer silent about what's happening and they're more so screaming, shouting, shoving, and ready to fight for their rights. Now, why do I feel like exploded may may not be the best term to use? It's because gender-based violence or abuse towards women is not something new in our country or in our society as a whole but it has now seemed as though it's exploded because women has women have literally come to a point where they're like enough is enough if no one's going to fight for us this is how we're gonna do it um so yeah okay so essentially what 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 we're kind of getting at is the fact that you're saying gender-based violence is something that's always been around, 
but uh, we have just gotten to the point where maybe the oppressed have become more vocal about it. Yes. And I also think just more cases have now been showed on the media, which goes to show how powerful the media is. That mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, propaganda is, so, is such a big thing that when things are not showed, shown to us on the media, we kind of feel as though they don't exist. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I, I, you know, if, if Uyunene wasn't as big as it, she was last year, I don't think many people would have even known what gender-based violence is. So mm-hmm. it just goes to show how we could use the media to actually for, for positive things, to get the word out, to have these kinds of conversations that we're having right now. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, the, the point that you're making, especially about the media, uh, more so I think maybe even in, in the context that we're in right now, uh, being under lockdown and all these restrictions, where I think we've seen, um, I think you in Durban currently, and yeah. I've seen a lot of like activity in Durban in terms of like protests that are taking place. Some have been virtual and they've been very successful in terms of like sparking conversation and actually getting things moving. Uh, some have been on the ground, but obviously that's like much limited or much more restricted now because of the the regulations that are under, under uh, that are under place right now. But I think the whole idea is that when the media starts to to bring things to light, what it allows for people, I think, as you said, is that we come to the realization or the rude awakening that there's a situation that's currently taking place in our country. And I think for a lot of men, the reason why they sometimes uh, they sometimes don't partake maybe in conversations like this, uh, for some men, obviously, not speaking for everyone, is that sometimes you don't know that these things are happening. And I think it, it sort of happens maybe perhaps because of what you're saying, where if we remain quiet on these type of things, you know what I mean? The people who are not affected by it will never know about it. You understand? Mm. Because most most of the time, I think it's a human thing where we only are aware of things that affect us. And once something's yeah. not affecting us, we then no longer become aware of it unless it's brought to our attention. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people usually, they usually um, say, what's the whole point? Like, how is it helping just having a conversation? Uh, what's the whole point of just having it on social media, the outrage on Twitter, on Instagram? Um, but I think to answer those like questions is to say that once we do that, or once we have that outrage on these social media platforms, what it then does is it sparks the conversation in real life. And once you spark the conversation mm-hmm. in real life, what happens is people who are not aware of it become aware of it. Or people who are maybe, who are trying to run away from it, you know, who are trying to evade the conversation altogether, are left mm-hmm. with no choice but to actually join in the conversation. So yeah. it then brings about and some sort just, of change in people. Yeah, and not just joining in the conversation, you are, you become highly, not maybe not highly educated on it, mm-hmm. but they, you start having questions. And once there's curiosity, people want to then educate themselves because we do understand and we know that not everyone's going to hear about gender-based violence and go on the internet and start reading feces and, you know, um, mm-hmm. articles about what gender-based violence is. We understand that not everyone's going to do that. But because we're now moving with time, we have platforms such as the one that you're providing us with right now that can make things easier for us to be educated about the reality of women in our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're completely right. And I think it's also very fundamental that these conversations take place and we continue to put it uh, on our media, our social medias. Because I think um, for a lot of people, for a lot of men, uh, though the GBV is perpetuated, I think maybe if we can both agree, in misogyny and patriarchy, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's essentially, I think, the grassroots problem that uh, starts everything yes. out because it brings some sort of entitlement, of which mm. I don't know if you will agree with me to say that 
a lot of the time misogyny and patriarchy is actually deeply rooted from childhood so from mm-hmm. as soon as we're born we kind of have this thing where there's gender roles that are already put in place in the household um in terms of even like i think the example that you gave sport for instance you know where you in primary school if you understand biology you know that like from a certain age to a certain age there's no real difference in physical stature between a girl and a boy you know what i mean from yeah. at a young age anyway but mm. in itself you already see teachers who are like maybe girls should not play soccer or certain sports are for for girls and certain sports are for boys so i think that in itself already begins to perpetuate um that kind of misogyny misogyny mm. patriarchy even if that makes sense yeah, even the smallest things, even I think before we even enter the the schooling world, if you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. misogyny and sexism kind of starts when, you, you know, as a child, you're starting to grow up and with guys it's telling, telling you that you, you, you can't cry, you can't show your emotions mm-hmm. because you need to be a man. And then with girls, it's you need to sit properly like a lady. You know, it's just those 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 things that you're taught as a kid and you don't realize how problematic they are. And you kind of, they, they become part of you. They really do. Because honestly, if we're being quite honest, we're here having this conversation, but we didn't wake up woke. We had to educate mm-hmm. ourselves. We had to dismantle and unlearn so many things. Because if you're being honest, as a if, as a young girl, I definitely would always sit with my legs together because I was told that you need to sit like a lady. I know you were probably told that you mustn't cry mm-hmm. because you you need to be mm-hmm. a man. And those are the things that we had to grow up learning and then see how problematic they are and unlearn them, which is what everyone needs to be doing. Yeah, no, I think I think yeah, you you're absolutely right with that. And there's a there's an idea that I I recently adapted that I now like basically took as my whole narrative in life to say that I think as a people it's our ethical responsibility to become like more moral than the society we grew up in see meaning that simply to say because we grew up maybe it, let's take it from my perspective to say that you grew up in a society that was pushing you in a very misogynistic way and patriarchal way and in a very sexist way it then becomes my responsibility as an individual as I grew up too begin to unlearn certain things, you know what I mean? To begin to question certain things, to say, okay, mm. I know maybe this is what I was taught in terms of uh, a custom, but is this what I actually want to follow through with? Or is there maybe a better yeah. way to approach certain things? So I think uh, for a lot of people who, because I know a lot of people really do use the excuse to say that, you know, this is what we grew up in, this is all we understood, um, this is all we knew. But uh, realistically speaking, I think to use that in, as an excuse, especially in the modern day and age, where, like you said, a lot of things we learn, both of us, uh, both men and women, uh, come purely from from you educating yourself. You know what I mean? Because the tools have been mm. made uh, at our fingertips. The resources are right there. So it's like a situation where I think one or two want to educate themselves. Because I know the example, mm. I, I always think of the example to say, like, uh, you see a lot of the time where if you trace back uh, maybe to go a bit off topic if you go to like nazi germany for instance you understand everybody to this day who was part of that uh nazi germany regime has was arrested or faced some sort of repercussion because the argument they made was that that's all we knew at the time but then the argument that was then made to counter mm-hmm. that is as a person you have some sort of like ethical compass that directs you you know what i mean to say that regardless of the fact yeah. that i'm doing something i know whether it's right or wrong and once you feel like you know it's yes. right or wrong you then have the choice to or not to partake 
So I think that definitely has to be dismantled. That's an idea, I think, altogether. Um, I'd say just misogyny and patriarchy, that has to be dismantled. Yeah, I'm so glad you... I was waiting for you to use the word choice because I think we've had this conversation before mm-hmm. where we we can we can accept... Okay, no. Accept is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. We are aware that there are things that we are taught as we grow up, but you get to a certain age where you then have choice. Mm-hmm. You know? Because you, you were taught that as a male, you are not to show emotion. You are not to... Um, be in, um, to cry because you are a man. Mm. That's that's what you are taught at home. But as you grow up, you get to tender ages like 12, 11, 10, 13, those ages, that's when you start making choices for yourself. And that's the point that I wanted to make before you finally use the word choice, which I'm so happy you did, was as much as we taught all of these things, we then have choice. Mm. And now you have pointed out that you made the choice to unlearn those things. And th- those are the choices that we as a society need to make. Definitely. Daily. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, even the way that she added at the end to say daily, because I think um, another issue that I saw that, you know, as you just observe, as you go in your daily life, that you begin to see is that a lot of the time people do learn certain things or they begin to like understand, okay, misogyny does exist, patriarchy doesn't exist, sexism does exist. But you see that a lot of the time, um, people sort of turn a blind eye when it's now directly in line with them. So maybe to give a loose example, you can have somebody who's like very passionate about this and who's very willing to say, you know what, uh, I don't stand for this. But the day that maybe they're in the office space and it's him and another woman and they then give him the job purely on the basis of the fact that he's a man, you don't get somebody who's as mm-hmm. outspoken because now they want to to take time to benefit themselves, of which I think it's also something that we have to look at to say when you, I think once you take up this, uh, this stance to say, this is you and this is what you're going for. You then ought to not uh, be willing to accept anything that goes against what you say. You know what I mean? Against it. Because yeah. a lot of yeah. the time people, people kind of go into it half-heartedly. Um, you can go into yeah. it maybe because it's, it's like the idea that we, I think you've seen it often where people be like, um, I never understood uh, the impact of GBV until it was somebody who was close to me. You understand? You, 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 know? you don't have to understand GBV when it's somebody close to you. You just have to understand it when it's happening to somebody else as a, as a human being. We're human Exactly. Being. There has to be yes. some sort of empathy that yes. exists within you. So I think that's a, a very yeah. common issue that we're going through. And uh, it's a plight that continues to happen in people where we, we are, it's like we are desperately waiting for it to affect somebody really close to you or somebody within you, your, 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 your vicinity for you to then say, okay, we really have a problem of which I, I don't think that should be yeah. the case. It really does kind of um, support this in this environment of ignorance where you, you did, you did speak about it earlier on where we, we really are from a generation or a part of a, a society that supports the 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 culture of ignorance where if it does not if it does not affect me why should i worry about mm-hmm. it if if because you know you know we even these these things are even in, instilled in in other problematic things such as racism um and homophobia mm-hmm. like people who may not if such people who are not in the lgbtqia plus community may feel as though issues that people of the community face 
are not because they're not part of the community it it shouldn't phase mm-hmm. them you know and it's just that that culture is one that we we literally have the power to eradicate and that's the issue we are from a, a generation that I, I don't know if there are a lot of us that are as hopeful as we mm-hmm. are that they, they, they is there is going to be change you know and the more we get people that are going to be as hopeful as we are then the change will come about no i think yeah with that one i think you'd be surprised as to how many people are definitely hopeful uh I've, there's this cartoon that i once ran into where it was what it was illustrating is exactly what you're saying where it was like individuals walking in different directions with one thought saying that are there other people who are thinking like me but they were going about their part Meaning that all was trying to illustrate is to say that until we have somebody who's willing to spark the conversation or to spark that initial first change, you understand? Then I think we are then going to have mm. a collective of other people who are like, oh, I was thinking the exact same thing, but I was just too afraid to start it, you know what I mean? Because I think being yeah. a revolutionary is something that's definitely not for everybody. And that's just yeah, the reality 100%. that we have to face to say that not everybody's willing to, to take a stance against what society feeds them, do you understand? which we can yeah. all agree to say that society feeds us sexism, society feeds us patriarchy, society yeah. feeds us misogyny. So for somebody to then take a stance mm-hmm. to say, I'm not going to go at that, it's like, you know, it's like a shock. It's like a shock. It's like, oh, he's like going against, you know, uh, what society mm-hmm. ideally thinks. So I think um, if we have people who continue to spark the conversation, if we have like many more platforms such as this, uh, where people are willing to engage, also in real life, have, having these conversations in real life, you know what I mean? And just taking them off maybe social media and actually putting them in the mm. streets to say, yo, when you see something of this nature happen, whether it's a friend, it's a brother, it's a cousin, just like point it out as it is, you know what I mean? Because um, I think we continue to perpetuate it also because we are having a lot of the conversation, like um, especially as time has moved on, you know, we're having a lot of the conversation now, but in real time, it's like we're not implementing what it is that we're learning, you know what I mean? what it is that we're actually taking yeah. so you see a lot of the time uh when yeah. you, it's like you know loose examples when you when you go out you know what i mean you you get somebody who is saying one thing on the internet but is then groping a female as she's walking by doing you know what I mean? of which i think if we had a mm. consistency where if you're saying this and you're going about it like this you'd find that there'd be a very like relatively big change so i think that's definitely something that we also have to we have to address yeah, I think that's also something that I took into consideration when I was, you know, providing the platforms to have um, many different um, conversations on, on Zoom mm. was I tried my best to always have sessions at the end to take down the solutions because mm. I don't want us to have this conversation and educate each other and challenge each other but not come up with solutions, but not only solutions that are going to go up in the air but that are going to be put in pen and paper and sent to someone higher than myself to then implement. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think implementation is so important. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something has, that has to be looked at. I think also maybe before we even move on to the next discussion point, is a point maybe that I, I just had a thought as we we're speaking to say that um, when we have these conversations also, I think it's important to understand that there's no perfect individual who, like, you know, the ideal mm. individual to have this conversation. Because um, yeah. if I can give an example even of myself, is to say that because, you know, as you, as you grow up, you, you're fed a certain narrative and you're fed certain, like, ideologies and ideas. So at a, definitely at some point in my life, 
in terms of the ideologies that I had, they were very problematic, you know what I mean? But it was something, as, as you said, or as we alluded to prior, to say that I took, maybe personally in my own context, you know, I took time just to educate myself and begin to, like, learn new things and then learn old things, you know? So I think maybe for a lot of uh, men and gents who are listening to this, is to say that don't ever feel like maybe you aren't able to speak on a topic uh, because maybe you are afraid to change your ideology or you're afraid that people have tied you up with an idea or a certain behavior, you know what I mean? Uh, I've always believed that as long as you haven't done any irreparable damage, so as long as maybe it was just an ideology that was a thought like, oh, no, nah, but this, but that, you, you're still allowed to change, you know what I mean? And don't fear yeah. what it is uh, that people will think. You, 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 you're very much allowed to change that uh, ideology and thought. So I don't know how you feel about that specific mm. stance. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think that is a really great stance. But to add to that, which is so important that I feel a lot of people kind of look over, um, I always tell people that it is okay not to know something. I really want people to understand that you're not going to know everything. So if you are uneducated about something, it is very important for you to ask a question because if you do ask a question you'll get an answer and by you getting an answer you are more educated than you were before you asked that question so what if people are stop being afraid of not knowing because if we're being honest we don't know everything we literally are learning every single day so it's so important for men who are wanting maybe have been seeing these conversations and have just been looking over these conversations because they feel like they're um they're uneducated about the topic if you have a close friend that's um, female that you feel like is educated about the, this topic, ask. Ask the question. You will get the answers that you need. Do not be sitting, um, in, 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 in sitting and be okay with not knowing when something is such a big issue in the country and we can see that it's a big issue. People need to start normalizing asking questions and really just saying, listen, Alwande, I actually don't know what the Black Lives Matter movement is, mm-hmm. please give me some insight. You know, yeah. that that's completely fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think also to maybe coin it the exact same stance that you're taking, but to coin it also on the flip side is to say that for people maybe who feel like they are more more aware of the topic or more educated on it or who have taken more time maybe to learn on it, is to say we should I think we should maybe move away from being too hypercritical of people who ask questions because a lot of the time I think uh, we also see we also see situations where people ask questions obviously um, this is then your discretion that you use you know where somebody you can tell when somebody's asking like a genuine question where they are really coming from a place of just not knowing and they're trying to understand of which I yeah. think when somebody does come with that approach uh, I think we should be willing to to welcome all all questions because what it then does is also it allows us to to actually begin to to grow this whole movement. Because I think uh, we've yeah. alluded to say that me and you can have the exact same stance on something, you know what I mean? And we can speak on it and speak on it and speak on it for hours. But we're speaking on it purely because we already agree on this topic, you understand? But actual change mm. will begin to take place when we are now changing people who had a different ideology to begin to understand and see the way we are seeing things, you know what I mean? Because for as long as we are having mm. these conversations yeah. between me and you, or between party A and party B who already agree on something, there's no real growth fundamentally. 
So I think it's it's also an important mm. thing that we should begin to allow questions. Just as you said, people should not be afraid to ask questions, but we should also allow questions to say that when someone asks you something, uh, sometimes just allow yourself. I know it's like very difficult because sometimes it's a very emotionally taxing conversation and emotionally taught in conversations, yeah. especially for people who have experienced it. But it's also to say that if you actually want to see growth, we have to understand that uh, in us wanting to see growth, we have to prepare ourselves for that emotional tax that emotional talk you know what i mean yeah i think you you gave the example even of yeah, the 100%. the black lives matter if if a non-black friend then comes to you and says you know i really don't understand why i can't say maybe the n-word you know like don't take it mm. offensively just take that time to to try explain to them you know what i mean as much as i think as much as it's emotionally taxing and you can feel like oh my god like this is personally these things but it's just like just take two seconds uh, remove yourself from the situation try and understand where they're coming from and I think progress the conversation more because that's the only way we can actually, I think, progress the conversation more because most of the time, like-minded people usually hang around with like-minded people. So once you spark that conversation mm. within that one person who was thinking otherwise, you spot spark the whole conversation in an entire group of people who are similar, you know? Yeah. So I think that's definitely a stance that should be considered. Yeah, and it also just allows for you to be challenged because, I mean... If we were in the same circle, you and I, and we kept having these conversations, like how 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 much are we really growing? Mm. Because we agree so much. You're not gonna challenge me on True. anything. You're not gonna bring across like really really interesting questions because we we think mm. the same. Um, and it's very important to actually be challenged because when you're challenged, there is growth that takes place. That is that will come with that. That's 